Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Paul said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace, Acts 20 24. Would you stand and say that with me? If you're new, we're memorizing this verse. We'll put it on the screen. We just ask you to say it out loud with us this morning. Say it, church. However, I consider my, my only aim is to finish and complete the task of the Lord Jesus. The task of testifying to the good. Acts 20. 24. Sound great. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being right here in this place with us this morning. And now as we open your word, may we open our hearts to hear from you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated if you would. I want to tell you a quick story. In fact, if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles, you can. We're going to go to Acts chapter 26 uh, together. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible there in the row. You can pick it up. In fact, if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. You can look in the table of contents, find the book of Acts, turn with us to chapter 26. We'll be there in a minute. But first, I want to tell you a personal story that happened to me about seven weeks ago. My wife came home and said, hey, Mark, we need to go start going to a gym. Well, now don't applaud. That's, that's crossing a line there. But So she said, we started going to gym. So, so she said, there's this one particular place that, that got a good cardio thing going on. So we went down and we, it was like late, late Friday afternoon and we go down there and, and I'll be honest with you, there were about 25 people in this room and there were like two other guys. Yeah, all the guys just felt really uncomfortable. So that's the way I felt, really uncomfortable. Well, I'm with my wife, so it's a little better. So we tell the trainer, hey, so Ginger and I are, are thinking about, well, when is, look, we both want to get into better condition, but we don't want to be too inconvenienced, right? <laughs> Anybody feel that? And so, so as much research as we've done, we realize there's not a magic pill, so we're like, okay, we've got to get a little inconvenience. And so what we do is we're trying to figure out where in the calendar day is it best for both of us where we're least convenient, inconvenienced. So for me, it was 6.30 in the morning, and for Ginger, it was later in the afternoon because of our work schedule. So I went that Monday morning at 6.30, and I go into this gym and in this room, and there for the 6.30 class, it was only about 10 of us in there that day. And, and unfortunately, I was like the only guy. So we do the workout and so forth. And the owner had told me before, hey, Mark, I'd love to just visit with you real quick after the class. And so I'm like, okay, she's probably wanting to give me some kind of cool merch as a new member or something like that. Afterwards, she reiterates, hey, come and see me. And so I'm like, okay, you know, I'm coming. And so I get over to her and she goes, hey, uh, she shows me a brochure. And she goes, now here are all the classes. You just finished a women's only class. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Take that. That's the way I felt. I was like, you dang right I did. No, I didn't. I didn't do that. I felt like this small. I'm like, I did what? She goes, yeah. Now, that was a women's only class. And way to go. You know, it was good. She goes, now, what we'll need you to do is we have a 5 a.m. class. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want to get in condition, but I don't want to be that inconvenienced, right? 
And she goes, well, either way, um, don't come back to this one. We have these other options for you. And so we, Ginger was very generous, and so we figured out a time that kind of works for both of us, and, and I didn't go. But I will be honest with you, I walked out of that gym that day, and I thought, I am never walking back into this place again, right? <laughs> I don't know what those ladies thought of me the whole time I'm there. Why is he here? Normally, everybody's giving each other a high five, but not that day. What's that guy doing back there? So I walked out thinking we'll never go back, but we've gone back. But I've never gone back without my wife, I'll tell you that much, every time I go back. I wanted to be in better condition, but I didn't want to be too inconvenienced. And here's the connection I'm going to make, because I know some of you aren't going to hear the rest of the message. You're just going to be picturing me working out with these women. But I think when it comes to our faith, that sometimes we want to follow God, but I don't want to be too inconvenienced, right? And so here's a question that I wonder if sometimes we wrestle with this one, if we're honest, and that is, how is it that there's a question here I want us to see? To go back to that question that says, How is it that we can trust God and sometimes it leads to a harder life? How is it that we can trust God and yet it sometimes leads to a harder life? Does that even seem possible? Does that seem fair? Does that seem realistic? And in fact, let's let's think of it this way. Have you ever heard the, the, the idea that if you begin to follow God, you'll actually have an easier life? Now, some of us know that isn't true. We've lived long enough to know that isn't true, but that's still out there. That's still a a thinking that we hear often, or we'll think this, God will never give you more than you can handle. The problem with both of those is the Bible never teaches either of those. I mean, you think about it. Ginger and I have been reading through the book of Ruth. You think about Naomi in the book of Ruth who lost her husband. She lost both of her sons. She lost everything. She trusted God, and guess what it led to? A harder life. Think of Job in the Old Testament who lost his wife, who lost his children, who lost his family, who lost everything. He trusted God and it led to a harder life. Think of it in the New Testament where we get to people like John the Baptist who preceded Jesus and announced the coming of Jesus. And he's the one who eventually was beheaded. He trusted God and it led to a harder life. Oh, what about James whenever he was the first apostle who was martyred? He trusted God and it led to a harder life. What do you do when trusting God leads to a harder life? I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like, well, I didn't sign up for all that. Like, I'm going to go to church some. I might even give some. I might serve some. I'll, be, I'll try to live a better life. But I'm not signing up for any adversity. I'm not signing up for difficulty. I'm sure not signing up for suffering. What do we do when trusting God actually leads to a harder life? And if you're here and you're like, you know what, I don't yet follow Jesus, and this isn't sounding very attractive for me to begin following Jesus, I want to tell you at the end why I think you still should, but I just want to be honest with you on the very outset. We don't want to sell something that's so much cheaper than the real thing. Because the real thing is so much better than an easy life. And we want to talk about that. And I hope for all of us this will be encouraging. Because today we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. He's the one whose story we've been looking at from the very beginning. And we're going to see that by his trusting God, it led to a harder life. So... Let's look at the characters that we're going to look at today. First, of course, it is the Apostle Paul, who you'll remember back in Acts chapter 9 is the one who converted miraculously and then spent the rest of his life telling people about this Jesus. Unfortunately, he had to suffer along the way. Guess what? Last week, we looked at a trial 
he's going to be in another trial in today's story for the exact same thing, and his life is once again on the line. That's a harder life, isn't it? But you remember last week, we also looked at a man named King or Governor Felix. Governor Felix is the one who at the time, if you remember there in Caesarea, he was the one who was the man in charge who Paul went before. Remember that? And Felix is the one who said, well, now's not a convenient time for me to give my life to Jesus. And at the end of chapter 24, his power ends and he secedes to a new governor. And that's where we get introduced to Governor Festus. And this isn't the character off of Gunsmoke. This was a couple thousand years before that. Governor Festus, who becomes the one in power, and he's new at being in charge. And guess what? He decides the public peer pressure begins to raise against Paul. They're still opposing him. And so he decides to retry Paul again. And Paul's life is in danger again. And Paul immediately, because he's like, okay, I'm not getting a fair trial. This obviously isn't, isn't ever going to lead to anything productive. Paul appeals to Caesar. And Caesar is the one, if you are a Roman citizen, that you could appeal to, kind of like the Supreme Court, when you realize the evidence was on your side, but you weren't getting a fair trial. And Festus is the one up here who says, what do I write to Caesar? Aren't I supposed to write some kind of recommendation? He's new. The scripture kind of implies he's a little insecure as a leader. So he invites a neighboring leader whose name is King Agrippa. And King Agrippa is going to come in and he's just going to be the one to sort of help Festus write up this recommendation to Caesar. So at this point, it's past that second trial and now we're more in a hearing. But here's why I wanted you to know those characters. Because at the end, Paul is going to have a conversation with King Agrippa. And here's what you need to know about King Agrippa. King Agrippa comes from a line of people opposed to God himself. King Agrippa's great-grandfather is the one he's Herod. He's the original one who was actually trying to have Jesus destroyed when all those babies were being born around Bethlehem and he knew there was something about this new family and about this one promised one. That's his great-grandfather. His grandfather is the one who beheaded John the Baptist, that Herod. His dad is the Herod who had James, the first apostle, martyred. What a line of opposition to the gospel. And most say this King Agrippa wasn't as bad a guy. He was literally coming in to learn more about what is it that everybody's so passionate about this Jesus that my great-grandfather spent his life trying to destroy, that my grandfather tried to spend his life destroying, and that my dad spent his life destroying. I want to know for myself, who is this Jesus? So they have a conversation, Paul and King Agrippa, that I want you to see when they finally sit down for this famous hearing in Acts chapter 26. Look with me at verse 27. We pick up the conversation there. It says, Paul speaking to King Agrippa, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Now this is interesting because in this moment, Paul is saying to King Agrippa, I know you believe in the Torah, the Old Testament, and the prophets. Christianity is not a new thing. It's an extension of what you believe. It's a fulfillment of all these prophecies. That's who Jesus is. He's trying to explain to him. He's trying to persuade to him. And he's like, you know, you want to know who this Jesus is, King Agrippa? I know you have a platform. I just want you to know that God loves you so much, King Agrippa, that just like me, Jesus came to this earth to die on a 
a cross to cover your sins just like he did for me. And he will be your savior, your risen savior to pay the sin that you couldn't pay so that you can have a relationship with this God. And he's not some distant God like we thought in the Old Testament. He's a personal, up close and personal God. And he tells all about this Jesus. You know why? Because Paul knew him personally. And this is the difference between King Agrippa and the Apostle Paul. One knew about him and one knew him. This is the difference between Christianity and those who know about Christianity. There is a massive difference between knowing about God and knowing God. My my daughters who are attending college have recently talked about some of their professors who like to regularly bring in scripture and talk about how it is untrustworthy, how it is, and they'll they'll pick an issue that that they believe the Bible is on the wrong side of history of, and they'll talk about it being um, a Bible that is uh, promoting an untrustworthy way of life, and to claim that it is the divine is to make an absurd claim. And then one of, the, one of the professors will even go so far as to say, and I am an authority on this. You can't um, contradict me because I've read the Bible from cover to cover and I have some seminary training. And most of college students wouldn't have seminary training yet, may or may not have read the Bible through, and this person has a place of, of authority and, and, a, and a place of influence And so this is quite a claim to be making. But what we know is, what I would suggest of this professor is, they know about God, but they don't know God. You see, the difference is between knowing about God and knowing God is profound. Knowing about God is all about knowledge. Knowing God is spending time with him. Knowing about God, oh, it's all about knowledge. Knowing God is all about transparency. This is me opening up my heart and saying, God, I am imperfect and I need a savior and I need to repent. I have sin in my life and I'm not claiming to be the authority. I am coming transparent before a creator of the universe. And then there's knowing about God, which is knowledge versus knowing God, which is submitting. And that means when there is a contradiction between what I believe, what I think and what I want, I submit to what the Bible says because he is creator God and I am not. There are things he knows that I do not. This is knowing God. This is knowing about God. I'll tell you that I know a lot about, as a Dallas Cowboy fan, I can say I can know about Dak, right? I can tell you where he went to college. I can tell you uh, a lot about his career. I can tell you about what his health is at times. I know way too much about Dak, and yet I've never met the man. I've not had an encounter with him. I do not know him. You might even say I'm stalking him, but I don't know him, right? And some of you are here and you have a musician that you know about, you have an artist you know about, you have an actor you know about, you have an athlete you know about, but you don't know them, you know about them. You're just kind of stalking them. And here's what I would suggest, this professor and many others, they are stalking God, but they don't know God. Stalking God is whenever I have an education about him, but submitting to God is when I have a relationship with him. And I just want to say, if any of you are college students, any of you are high school students, and you're in here today, I just want to give you this bit of encouragement, because it encouraged me as I was wrestling with this in my own life this week. Don't take relational advice with God from people who are stalking God. There is a profound difference between King Agrippa, who knows so much about God, and Paul, who knows God intimately. And in this moment, after they make this claim, 
Paul listens to King Agrippa and he speaks to him about God. And King Agrippa listens to Paul's story. And then King Agrippa responds. Having said all that, watch how King Agrippa responds to Paul in verse 28. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul, I appreciate that you keep talking about this Christ who changed your life on the road to Damascus. I keep, keep, appreciate how you keep talking about this relationship you have with this Christ. And I know about what the Torah says. I know what the prophets say. I, know, I, you know, I have a lot of you know, uh, Jewish tradition here. I appreciate what you're saying. But do you think I can just make this conversion this quickly? Do you think I can just... What he's saying is, I need more time before I can make that decision. And I don't know where you are today, but we all fill that blank in differently. In other words, there are things that you might be wrestling with in your own life right now. Maybe you feel like with your relationships, you just need more love, you need more forgiveness, you need more grace. Maybe it's with your finances, you just need more money or you need fewer bills or you need something so that you can have enough margins so that you can trust God more. Maybe it's with your job, you so say, if, if I were on the other side of this job, then I could really trust God. I just don't have enough time right now. I, I just need more of something in my life. And I think you could maybe even fill in this blank that said, if I had more blank, then i trust God more. What would that be for you? Because here's what I'm convinced. Whatever we would put in that blank, Agrippa put time in that blank, but whatever we would put in that blank is the very barrier between us and a more intimate relationship with God. And here is what I believe with all my heart. You have all that you need to trust God with everything right now. You have everything you need to trust God with everything right now. Sometimes the leap of faith feels bigger but you can take that step right now. And this is what Paul is about to respond to King Agrippa and say. Look at verse 29, the next part of that verse. After he said, Paul responds then to Agrippa. After Agrippa says, I just need more time, Paul responded and he said, short time or long, he begins by saying, I pray to God. In other words, this is one of the greatest preachers of all time. Some would say one of the greatest Christians of all time, and he is saying, I pray to God. That's what I love about us praying every Wednesday, and those of you who are coming and participating in that or participating wherever you are, I love that because what Paul reveals is that he believes God is in charge. And how we pray or don't pray reveals who we think is in charge. And Paul says, I pray to God. Agrippa, I don't have to convince you I don't have to know the answers to your questions. I don't have to convince you. I just simply introduce you to this Jesus, and then I pray to God who is going to do the work in your life. And now watch the next part of that verse as he continues to reveal to Agrippa. He says, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me, say the next word with me, today may become what I am. All who are listening to me today. Did you know the only guaranteed day for salvation that is available to you is today. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. We see so many people who have unexpected death. We know people personally who've had that tragedy happen. The only day that we are guaranteed, and Paul reminds Agrippa and all who are listening, is the day you hear the gospel. That's the best day to respond to it. Because it's the only guarantee we have. We see in Proverbs 27.1 where we're told, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. 
Today is the day of salvation, scripture tells us, and Paul reminds us, and all who are listening, today is the only guaranteed. And I want to tell you, if you're here today and you've not yet crossed that line of faith and you're wrestling with that in your heart and in your soul, and you may even sense something that God is causing to draw you to him, after the service today, can I invite you today to go right there behind the sound booth? You go, there's a, there's a little cordoned off area there. We have a prayer time after every single service. And today I would invite you to go back there. Folks will be ready to receive you and to pray with you. And you can, you're only one prayer away from getting this settled once and for all. Today can be your day of salvation. Best decision that you could ever make. All right, look at the last part of that verse because all of a sudden things sort of set context. In fact, let me do this. Let's think about Paul. Think about this man for a second. Did you know when he was converted, when he came to Christ, that Jesus said something about him that had I heard that, I would have interpreted a very specific way. When Paul came to Christ, I want to go all the way back to Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. Because when he came to Christ, everyone was afraid of this Paul. But look what was said of him in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. It says, this man, meaning Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Now, if I would have been there and I would have heard that as Paul or Ananias or anybody else in chapter 9 would have heard that, I would have thought, ooh, I, I've been very educated. I have predominance with high priest and, and God is converting me to go to kings? Well, of course. And I'm envisioning, well, that means I'm going to be in palaces. I'm going to live a life of luxury. I'm going to be sitting before kings in palaces and they're going to be waving palm branches, feeding me hummus and pita chips and olives and all these great foods. Like how amazing. I'm going to go before kings. You imagine how prominent I'm going to be, how much influence I'm going to have. If it were a modern day, it'd be like, I'm going to have 10 million followers on YouTube. Like I am going to be the man. I'm going to have so much respect and so much prominence. This is is what it could have thought and this is a danger when we think coming to Christ means an easier life if you would have just stopped at Acts 9 15 you would may have thought that Paul was promised an easier life until you look at verse 16 which then says after he says you will be amongst kings Jesus also says and I will show Paul how he must suffer for my name yeah Paul got an audience before kings but it wasn't in an engraved invitation where chariots brought him before the palace for a nice banquet. Instead, as Paul stood before this king, King Agrippa, I want you to notice the next four words of Acts chapter 26 and verse 29. Would you say those last four words out loud with me? Paul said, except for these chains. Paul is before a king, all right. But he has chains around his ankles and around his wrists. He is a prisoner. Many believe he's been in prison now for more than two years. Falsely charged, falsely accused. He's been rejected. He's been beaten. He's been attacked. People have been plotting to kill him outside of this building. He's being tried again and again and he can't get a fair case. And he's sitting there with these chains. And you know what his greatest desire is? He's saying, I wish you couldn't see these chains. 
because who I'm telling you about is what I want you to see. I want you to see this Jesus who's changed everything for me. And I'm afraid you're going to get distracted by these chains. But these chains are chaining me to the very people God wants me to show his love to. And I don't know about you. I don't know where you are in your life. But I suspect there are times where you feel like you have chains around you. Or maybe there's something going on in your life that you feel like is holding you back and keeping you stuck and keeping you in a place you never wanted to be and it's keeping you from getting where you want to be. Maybe it's in your health, maybe it's in a relationship, maybe it's in your career and you feel like these chains are holding you back. Could it be, what if those chains are keeping you tied to people that God wants you to love, that it's actually keeping you in a place where God wants you to be. This is what was happening with Paul. He was in a place God wanted him to be before kings. He wanted him to share Christ with. And he was there as a prisoner, falsely accused, and yet he was in the exact place God wanted him to be. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any difficulties right now in your life? Any frustrations In your life right now, I know the answer is yes, of course. And you're thinking, God, why do I have those things? If you're really in control, what is going on? Could you do something about that? Why couldn't you change it? And here's what I want you to see. All throughout Acts 25, all throughout Acts 26, while Paul keeps telling his story, you know what he keeps magnifying? He keeps magnifying Christ. He keeps saying, this Jesus who gave everything for me, who transformed my life, he is the Savior. Meanwhile, he's in chains and the chains are rattling. He goes, I'm telling you, and he's got to move both hands. He goes, I'm telling you, this is the one who died on the cross for me. His name is Jesus. And I want you to know, he set me free. They're like, Paul, do you see you're in chains? I know, he set me free. You can't do anything you want to this body, but my soul is eternally his. He set me free. And here's the question, in your own life, I know you have something that's holding you back. I know you have something that might be frustrating, but in your life, are you like Paul? Are you magnifying your chains? Or are you magnifying your Christ? Are you magnifying the one who has set you free that this world cannot touch, who gives you eternal life with God himself? Are you magnifying this Christ? You see, why would that be such a big deal to Paul? Well, I think it gives context when you go all the way back to Philippians because Paul saw this as being productive. You see, there's something about God's faithfulness that is so powerful and yet so confusing because sometimes I attach God's faithfulness to blessings, but that's a totally different thing. When God blesses me with a nice home, with a nice family, with some, uh, some, some nice vacations, but then there's God's faithfulness. This is where he goes to a cross and dies for me and no one can touch it. This is where he proves his love for me and no one can touch it. This is where he gives me eternal forgiveness and no one can touch it. This is where he promises his presence with me for the rest of my life and no one can touch it. There is a faithfulness that comes and the danger is if I have the wrong goal, then I will interpret that God's faithfulness through that goal. If my goal is to have a 5,000 square foot house, then I will decide whether or not God's faithful on whether or not I get the 5,000 square foot house. If my goal is to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, I will determine God's faithfulness based on that goal. And I'm going to tell you, that's the wrong goal. There's a bigger goal, and this is why I want to tell you, following God can be hard, but it is the greatest goal of, of, of mankind is to pursue this God because he tells us in his great commission that we're to baptize them and then to teach them. And when we do that, here's a promise, I will be with you always, always. This is God's faithfulness that no one can touch. And Paul never had a desire to have a house up on the hill in Caesarea. Paul never had a desire to have the title. He had one singular desire, and we're memorizing it as our verse, and that is to testify to the good news of God's grace. Now look at Philippians 1, uh, verse 12. Look what he says. He says, with all that's happened to me, brothers and sisters, I'm in chains, I've been imprisoned, I've been stoned and left for dead, but 
That has happened to me. It happened to me and it served to advance the gospel. That's all he cared about. It's working. But Paul, you're in prisons. I know it's working. I'm getting before the king. I'm getting to share Jesus. In fact, I, I, I just got to have you hear the rest of that verse. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 1. If you read the rest of it, it says, uh, I want you to know this has served to advance the gospel. And as a result, he says, it has become the, it has become clear throughout this whole palace guard. He's in prison. And to everyone else, he says that I am in chains for Christ. And then he says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Oh, wow, that's powerful, amen? Paul saw his chains brought him to the place where he could do the one thing he was created to do, share Jesus with the person in front of him. And chains can't stop confessing Jesus. And so Paul saw that as advancing the gospel. And he was able to say, my God is faithful because he brought me here. I got a question for you. I don't know what your goal is in the end, but what if it isn't even about us? What if God's doing something in you for the sake of others? I love this quote by Brian Loritz, pastor and author. He says, spiritual formation is not ultimately about what God is doing in us, but what he is doing through us for others. An apple tree doesn't produce apples for itself, but for others. I want to close with this story of 1820, 200 years ago. There was this little baby born who six weeks into her little life developed an eye infection. And the doctors put poultice on her eyes that was so hot it burned her corneas, causing her to be blind for life. Oh, those are chains, aren't they? A permanent disability for this little girl. And at the age of nine, look what she says. Her name is Fanny Crosby. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I'm resolved that in this world contented I shall be. So many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. And watch this last line. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot nor I won't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot nor I won't. And God used her to write over eight thousand songs that the church has been singing for the last 200 years many of them about God's faithfulness and about his goodness oh her chains didn't keep her from her purpose her chains positioned her for her purpose she trusted in the faithfulness of God who she wanted to glorify with her life and nothing can keep us from that when that is our ultimate goal may we consider this question in closing are we magnifying our adversities or are we magnifying God's faithfulness? When you go to work this week, will you magnify your adversities or will you magnify God's faithfulness? What an opportunity we have as followers of Jesus to not misunderstand that this Christian life was never intended to be easy, 
But for eternity, we get to magnify his faithfulness now and let it echo in eternity. Would you stand with me as we just remember these words of Paul, which must have driven him. It identifies his goal at the end of his life. It is this passage, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Would you say it out loud with me? However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Acts 20, 24, amen. Before we close with a song together, I just want to make mention of an exciting weekend. Last weekend that we had here as a church, we had Halloween Sunday and our student ministry uh, did a, a lot of fun things. As students dressed up as superheroes and princesses, and it was just a, a great day. In fact, they had the highest attendance last Sunday since COVID started in March of 2020 in the children's ministry. Isn't that great? But what we love the most is that every single one of those kids heard about the real hero in Jesus. And I just wanna thank you for giving because those of you who give help make this a place where the next generation hears about Jesus being the real hero for all of eternity. And on your way out today, you can give through the black giving boxes, you can give online, you can give through texting. And lastly, if you're new here, I would love the opportunity to meet you right after the service today. We're gonna have just a quick meet and greet. My wife, Ginger, and I will be across the way in the Connection Center. Our pastors will be there. We're, we would just love for you to stop by and let us meet you right after the service today across the hall in the Connection Center. Let's pray. Father, we, we pause here right now as we recognize that it's easy to begin to pursue blessings from you instead of resting in the fact that you are a faithful God. You have carried us through so much and you have promised your love for us, which you demonstrated in your son Jesus on the cross. God, you've promised forgiveness. You've promised your presence. You are faithful. May we magnify your faithfulness this week more than our adversities. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.